This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist, and welcome to episode 100. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. The Advocacy Summit in Bloomington, Minnesota is just days away, October 26, 27, and 28. As telling the DMO story has never been more crucial, join Destinations International for a content-rich agenda of compelling case studies and networking to bring your advocacy game up to speed. Spots are extremely limited at this point, so for more information, go right now to destinationsinternational.org. And now it's on to show number 100. Catherine Callery is Vice President of Destination Development for Ottawa Tourism. Her role in opening Ottawa Tourism's Destination Development Department has placed her among Canada's trailblazers for destination development within destination marketing organizations. She has a master's degree in communications and media studies from Concordia University in Montreal and accreditation through the Canadian Public Relations Society. And she's currently working on her CDME certification through Destinations International. A community-minded city builder, she currently serves on the Downtown Ottawa Revitalization Task Force. She's past chair of the Ottawa Film Office and has served on the Ottawa Markets Board of Directors. Her 20-year career spans roles with Canada's national cultural institutions, British Columbia's tourism industry, and since 2015, Ottawa Tourism. Catherine Callery, welcome to DMOU. Hi, Bill. Hey, it's so great to have you as guest number 100. I mean, how cool is that? We saved the best for 100, of course. That is a real honor. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, wonderful to have you on board today. We met this summer in Toronto during the annual convention of Destinations International as I was gathering responses for this year's annual convention question for this podcast. And that question was, what positions are you adding this year? that you never would have considered five years ago. And you said Indigenous Tourism Liaison. And as you described the position to me, you quoted a line that has stuck with me and that I have considered, honestly, virtually every single day since Toronto. And that line is nothing about us without us. So share with us the backstory of this amazingly powerful mantra how it guides your work at Ottawa Tourism, and how you have really stepped into embracing Indigenous culture in your region. Oh, it's a great mantra. It's simple and to the point, uh, just good to keep in mind on on any project involving Indigenous tourism. So I, I probably first heard it from my colleague, Teresa Ryder, and she's with the Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada, or, or ITAC. And this is a, a national association that, you know, is the voice for Indigenous tourism operators, you know, nationally. There's also provincial organizations that do this, and we're also involved with Indigenous Tourism Ontario. But um, ITAC brings the national voice for Indigenous tourism um, to government partners or, or just even within the national landscape for Indigenous tourism. So we're actually a member of ITAC, and um, she was speaking on stage at uh, the Tourism Association of Canada's annual congress one year, and she said this line, nothing about us without us. And, you know, it really grabbed me then, too. I've heard it a lot after that, uh, mostly 
in ITAC settings, but um, at Ottawa Tourism, we've absolutely adopted it and just embraced it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, earlier this summer, we'd made the organizational human resource decision to bring somebody on staff, and that would be the Indigenous Tourism Liaison position. And we found actually market conditions and hiring, and probably many of your listeners are finding the same thing. It's very difficult to hire right now. And we weren't able to fill this right away, but uh, we're not losing sight of it. And in the meantime, we've adjusted the philosophy to include hiring Indigenous consultants and agencies whenever we can. So anytime we are working on an Indigenous tourism you know, subject matter, we're looking to hire uh, consultants and agencies who are themselves Indigenous. And so uh, we actually do have a consultant working with us right now on a number of projects, a whole range of them. And she's looking at how, you know, Indigenous tourism is represented and promoted through Ottawa Tourism, and she herself is Indigenous. So that's kind of how we've shifted. And and it really is a, a shift in our overall philosophy and digging in to really support Indigenous tourism development in Ottawa. It's a big part now, of, of course, as well with our, our destination stewardship plan and our strategic plan that we've done, you know, just this year. In fact, we're still finalizing the destination stewardship plan and Indigenous tourism is a key component of our destination going forward. And it's only ever going to be more important for, for our city, for visitors, for residents, for anyone that is, you know, recognizing and honoring being in unceded uh, traditional Algonquin territory when they come to Ottawa. So it's, it's never going to be less important for Ottawa. And that's why it's really important, you know, to align with Indigenous communities around us. And it, it's just really for everyone's benefit. Yeah, and it is the philosophy and it is the honouring of those who went before us and both in Canada and in the United States and I'm sure in countries all over the world, there are parts of our history that we now realise that was a mistake. And I think Canada, at least from my standpoint down in the States, as I look north, I see that you have, in fact, we just celebrated uh, or marked National Truth and Reconciliation Day a few weeks ago in Canada. Mm -hmm. And this really is about the fact that, I forget who said it, but it, it's kind of that mantra that, you know, whoever wins the war gets to write the history. And so the history that has been written about those who came before us is patently false because it really speaks to the narrative of the quote-unquote victor. And that's why nothing about us without us. We have been interpreting Indigenous and African American and other cultures through a very, very colonial white lens when the stories are so much richer and so much more compelling when they come from the voice and the reality of the person whose story it is. And so I think that's why I was so taken by it is that I look back, especially here in the States, and Tulsa is a great example. There was the Tulsa race riot over a hundred years ago, which none of us learned about in school and we're learning about it today. And it's like, oh my, how in the world could it have gotten to that point? And yet that was reality. So tell me more about how you've reached out to indigenous communities to better tell that story? I mean, you've got the consultants. So how else does that work? Just hearing you talk about all of that, it also kind of tweaked for me. And I'll borrow another line from ITAC. Jeez, maybe you should have Teresa on this podcast instead of me. But um, Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, they've really framed tourism and the tourism opportunity here as as a reconciliation in action. You know, so if we talk about reconciliation and what that means, and like you say, a lot of experiences in the past that might have been quote unquote indigenous inspired experiences or whatever from a colonial lens are not authentic. You know, they're not authentic experiences unless it's driven by and wanted and and told by indigenous people. So I think that is really meaningful too, understanding that tourism has a big role to play in making amends on all of these things. And while we can't ever change our history, we can do going forward is open our ears up and want to learn and want to be quiet for a bit and let other people tell their story. I think that's really important. You know, another way that we look to do it is, and and I know you and I have talked about this before, is this idea of being an ally, first and foremost, is a great start. And if people identify uh, or organizations identify as as allies, that's, that's great. But I was also at an international Indigenous music summit a couple of years ago, which was held in Ottawa. And the idea came forward there that, you know, allyship is a good starting place, but in order to really build that momentum, we actually need non-Indigenous partners to be more active than that. So the idea of ally, you know, being there to not stand in the way or to maybe amplify. But when you think of a more active term, and they use the term ally versus accomplice, you know, an accomplice jumps in <laughs> and does the work too. And maybe it doesn't do the leading, but it's definitely an active part yeah. of the end game. Yeah. You know, I think that's another thing that we've looked at is, you know, often our organizations, our destination organizations, we're in leadership roles on so many destination development projects. And, you know, that's because no one in the community necessarily owns that role. So we jump in and we, and we take it and we lead, but you know, for Indigenous tourism development to really work, we have to check that at the door and we have to work as an ecosystem. Uh, we have to be there, you know, in that supporting role, sometimes maybe to catalyze a conversation, but not to direct it, you know, to share the work, but not direct. You know, if it's an Indigenous tourism product, what we've really taken it to mean is that the Indigenous voices and drivers are the most important components, not the non-Indigenous community groups or or anyone else, even if our intention, you know, is to be helpful, it's still, it, it isn't helpful unless it's the Indigenous voices first. Well, and I love the concept that ally is easy. I mean, we all can be allies. Being an accomplice, mm-hmm. that takes serious consideration and diving in, being intentional and Allies good, accomplice is better. I dig that. So there's that one side of working with indigenous communities, making sure that their story is told through their experience and not that of non-indigenous marketers. But the other side of the coin, I think, maybe is even more impactful. And that is to reach out to those communities to get them to benefit from being an integral part of the tourism economy an economy that many of them are either unaware of or don't even know how to enter. But there's this thing called trust. And I actually bumped into this in a community in the southern part of the nation where slavery, of course, is a stain that will be there for quite some time. And those indigenous communities 
not really interested in participating because there's a real trust factor. So as trust is something we're still attempting to build, how did the Indigenous Tourism Entrepreneurship Training Program, it's a mouthful, (laughs) but it's really cool. How did that come to be? (laughs) Yeah, it is a mouthful. And actually, it was funny because we all laughed about how much of a mouthful it was when we uh, had our first few cohorts of of participants. And so everyone just said, we've got to get an easy way to refer to what we're doing here. And so everyone just said, well, ITET. So, okay, we call it ITET, (laughs) Indigenous Tourism Entrepreneurship Training. So anyway, um, it, it was a it was such an exciting project to work on. It, it came from that place of letting people tell their own story. Um, like even our vanity URL, when we created it and it was housed on our Ottawa Tourism website, our vanity URL was actually storytotell.ca. And so there you go. It really kind of underscores that importance of people telling their own stories. It comes back to visitors wanting authentic experiences. They don't want a slick marketing job. So we really asked ourselves, okay, how do we foster these authentic experiences? And like you say, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we do some outreach and how do we get people who um, have an idea and want to kind of delve into it? And we can come to the table with something that we're experts on, but you know, we can't come to the table with the idea, but we can come to the table with some tourism expertise. So we, what we did was we partnered with Algonquin College, one of our, our local colleges and universities here. They're actually one of the largest Indigenous uh, student bases of any college in Ontario. So so that was really good. And we received funding through our federal government, and it was to create these learning modules that would be absolutely created by Indigenous facilitators, offered by Indigenous facilitators to Indigenous students. Um, so really for Indigenous, by Indigenous. And um, the nice thing with working with Algonquin College, first of all, beyond the fact that they're a learning institution already, is that they have already established some advisory channels that they incorporate for their learning. Um, they have sort of this more community-centric model, and so so they have an advisory or education council, I think is what it's called. It's with representatives from our surrounding Indigenous communities who advise on uh, certain teachings that they do. And so we thought, hey, let's make use of that kind of a a model and this community-centric model, and we'll also create an advisory board that would be for content vetting for the creation of the modules. And so it had representation from communities. It had representation from ITAC. It was really the idea that they would help to, to guide and vet in the content Telling stories, you know, using storytelling as a basis for learning, bringing in experts who are themselves Indigenous, bringing in uh, some mentorship. It was a, just a different type of learning than what would be in our usual colonial learning institutions. So, and then we just brought the expertise on the angle on tourism. We, we just made sure that when we were looking at the content that are we hitting the mark here in, in terms of teaching what we know to be true for what how how it works on tourism, you know, we helped with the content, but ultimately it was taught by Indigenous f- facilitators, and it was really created for Indigenous learners, um, which was f- super exciting. And I think that's the key. And, and we we talked about uh, this session uh, a couple of weeks ago. That is another thing that kind of stood out for me is is I was trying to get my head around to my case study that they really didn't trust a white institution, be it college, be it tech school, be it the DMO, 
to say, hey, there's this really great opportunity. Here's how you can take advantage of it and let me show you. And there's that concept among indigenous people of learning and knowing. Mm -hmm. And while we know how this stuff works in the broader worldwide tourism ecosystem, having it initially taught through other indigenous experiences and stories that just kind of opened up all the doors, right? Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that we found happened, it, it, originally it was supposed to be an in-person learning opportunity and then COVID hit right? Um, because we were creating it and sort of getting into right before September 2020 was when it was supposed to launch. And of course, you know, by March, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But we had to shift and we, we did take it online. Um, but what that allowed, so there's challenges with that because some of the communities um, and people living remote and, you know, obviously broadband and, and internet can be a challenge. But what it did allow was made it very uh, equalizing, like everyone could join it if they wanted to from wherever they were. And it created this safe space for people to express their thoughts you know, openly and talk about often very difficult subject matter, subject matter that they might not have talked about in a class with people who were non-Indigenous there, you know, so they ended up really supporting each other. And um, sometimes we would have a, a, a participant thinking, well, I'm not sure if this is an idea or if this is really good. And others would jump in and say, no, that sounds really interesting and tell me more. And so there was a lot of mutual support. And it was this really beautiful community that got established, learning community, really, essentially. And we did see some drop off for various reasons, but even just to have those discussions around um, the table and the expression of, of culture and heritage at the forefront, and, and then even seeing some of these participants take those next steps and start something that they wouldn't have otherwise, you know, started, it was everything, you know, I mean, I think that's why we, that's what we wanted to see. It had all the feels and sure that the, the data is one thing and it's, you know, later we'll maybe got into that, but um, it was the right thing to do. And it, it felt really good doing it. And it was amazing to see the community of people that were helping each other that we created with this. And I think that's the exciting part of this is as the biblical phrase went, you know, you, you give someone a fish and they eat for a day, you teach someone how to fish and they eat for a lifetime, is this is an opportunity to bring a whole nother culture into the tourism ecosystem and the destination marketing ecosystem that we all are a part of. And it enriches both their lives as well as the lives of visitors who avail themselves of those experiences, which gets us to our third question. And we'll be sure to put a link. There's a wonderful video of the program that uh, Algonquin College has, has created that we'll put in the show notes because it really is a powerful video. But you told me that 30% of international visitors to Canada say that they want an Indigenous experience, but there are only today a thousand Indigenous Canadian businesses that survived COVID, which is like half of the Indigenous businesses that were there back in 2019. So Mm -hmm. you've got high market demand, you've got limited supply. This looks like just a complete seller's market here. Tell us what is next for Ottawa tourism in building this force for good through its indigenous populations. <laughs> it's probably the best example I can think of when we talk about tourism's force for good. And to your point earlier with 
making space for other cultures. That's why we all travel, isn't it? And that's that's why we go places. Yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. we don't go places to have it feel exactly like it feels everywhere else or at home or whatever. So indigenous tourism is such a differentiator for Canada, um, even for the various regions that you go to. I mean, there's over 600 different languages, <laughs> indigenous languages in this country. I think that's something that uh, we can explore so much deeper. And, and if you just give people the empowerment to follow their dream and to know that their special talent in dancing or beating or cooking food, that's heritage food to them. Those things are experiences that people want to have when they go on, on trips. The data backs it up too. I mean, it's also beyond being a feel-good story. It, it, the data also backs it up. Like, And this is, again, uh, ITAC data. So, uh, you know, one in three international visitors wants to experience an Indigenous tourism experience. And yet, when we talk about pre-COVID, 1,900 or so Indigenous-led tourism businesses, and they were employing, you know, something like 40,000 employees. And after COVID, it was down to 15,000 employees and 1,000 businesses left. So when we talk about tourism being the hardest hit industry from COVID, I think Indigenous tourism actually was even harder hit than sort of mainstream. So it does leave a huge, tremendous opportunity, right, for the rebuild to happen. So some of it is training. Some of it might be equipping uh, Indigenous entrepreneurs with, with some business skills or, or financial skills that are, through programs like ITET, for example. Yeah. And then just allowing entrepreneurs to build new experiences and strengthen and diversify and enrich our landscape and our and our indigenous tourism offering in, in Canada. So definitely the data shows there's opportunity, there's potential. If we can grow this segment back, it will have you know an incredible impact on conversations that visitors will have about indigenous stories and perspectives in Canada. And like you say, told from a more authentic indigenous voice. And that's what visitors want too. So it's kind of a win for for everyone to dig in and to help grow back the segment for sure. And it's very validating to Indigenous entrepreneurs and communities. It puts economic development and representation back in in their hands and it winds up supporting livelihoods and and community revenue sources. And it also contributes to the country's GDP. So, you know, it's like, what's bad about it, right? Yeah, it's a triple, quadruple win. I don't see the downside of it other than the concern that may pop up from time to time about cultural appropriation, but when it becomes their voice, is it really appropriation? Or is it them taking that rich history and with pride communicating it? Well, this is exactly the kind of conversation that we had uh, in these cohorts. We would talk about cultural appropriation and, and the fuzzy lines, you know, of like what is and what isn't. And Ultimately, where the group sort of felt comfortable in the comfort zone was it's not for a non-Indigenous entity to think, hey, we should Indigenize something or we should create this experience and, oh, by the way, let's throw some Indigenous stories into this, into this mix. That's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. It starts with real meaningful relationships, right, with Indigenous communities and, and entrepreneurs who get to tell their own story in their own way. 
the market is there and interested in, in experiencing it. And Indigenous communities in many respects will also dictate where they're comfortable sharing and where they're not comfortable sharing. There are certain things that are going to be yeah. you know, off the table you know, for consumption broadly by other non-Indigenous clients. But, but there's going to be things that, that aren't and that are a beautiful, meaningful area to learn and to have people see things from a different perspective, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations for all you're doing and the, uh, the network you've helped put together to make this happen. Because again, as much as I think those of us in the destination marketing organization space we want to have the solution and we want to do the quick fix and we want to have all this stuff happen and we know we're on the right track, but actually partnering with Algonquin university was a huge part of the success of this program because all of a sudden they had the pathways into the communities mm -hmm. that had been established and the trust had been established that allowed you then to go where you needed to go to bring them into the, uh, the tourism arena. So Congratulations. And it, well, it's going to be ongoing and there's going to be mistakes, you know, <laughs> there's going to Always. be so many mistakes. I just know it, but it's going to be one of those things that you just have to keep trying and you have to come at it with, um, you know, don't come at it with this desire of I'm the expert and I'm going to help, but rather there's an expertise I can bring, but um, how does it work for you? You know, how, like ask more questions than you think you can yeah. tell people how to do things. Right. I think that's the key. Yeah. Great point. So it's time for your bonus round question before we let you go. Something I didn't know about you, you are an equestrian. I am. You say that your horse keeps you humble. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line. How so? Yeah. We all uh, have these little moments in life, you know, where you you think you've got life by the tail and, you know, you've got a plan and, and then something comes along and yep. nope. <laughs> don't. And I, I would say that's Cody, that's my horse. And what riders out there listening will understand is it's a real partnership, right? When you have a horse and, and you're an equestrian, it's not an ATV, it's not a piece of equipment that you get to turn the key and make it go where you want it to go. Um, I mean, ideally, you'll make the horse go where you want it to go. But <laughs> but um, I feel the same about sailboats, right? <laughs> well, like, wait a, a minute. Good point. Wait, the wind is going that way. How am I going to get over there? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it's it's this thing where you have to come at it and say, okay, you get 49% of the say and I get 51% of the say and I'll meet you halfway if I have to. But any time where I think I've got a plan and I'm going to do something with this horse and we're going to learn a certain thing and I don't give him his piece of say in the matter, it's like, oh boy, that's, <laughs> that's when, you know, you get the buck or you get the you know, something to just to remind you that, you know, hi, I'm a living being here and I've got my own opinions and I get a say in this matter too. And so it, you know, it keeps you humble because you, you think, well, okay, I think I'm smart, but you've got me wrapped around your finger. So clearly, <laughs> yeah. clearly you're the smarter one here. So there you go. <laughs> and actually a great analogy for our past 30 minutes of conversation <laughs> is we both have a say here. And let's figure out the way to get where we want to go. So, Catherine, thank you for all you've done in this realm. Uh, and thank you for sharing it with us. Because, I mean, that's what DMOU is all about, is new stories, new tactics, new ways to approach either new markets or existing markets in a new way. And I think that your experiences there um, in Ottawa have been 
simply amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you for being our 100th guest. Maybe we'll have you back at 200 and you can tell us how it's gone over the next couple of years after doing this. But uh, that sounds great. And I think I'm going to have to find some champagne to pop or something like this after after our interview so that we can uh, celebrate the 100th episode of DMOU. Well, thank you. And I couldn't think of a better topic for us to uh, celebrate that 100th on or a better guest. So Catherine, thank you so much for all you do and for joining us on DMOU. My pleasure, Bill. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers. This is where the best and the brightest come to tell their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. We are just days away from the Advocacy Summit in Bloomington, Minnesota, October 26, 27, and 28. Telling the DMO story has never been more crucial. You can join Destinations International for a content-rich agenda of compelling case studies and networking to bring your advocacy case up to speed. There are only a few spots left, and I'm serious, only a couple. So get yours now. For more, go to destinationsinternational.org. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, the book Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>